Good morning. Did y'all notice that, uh, that Gary Schaffner arranged that? Gary, thank you. Beautiful. How many years have you worked with our children? A long time? Gary is one of our faithful servants in our children's life group, our children's Sunday school, and, and it's just what a gift that he was able to offer in worship today as he arranged that and was a part of sharing that with us. Oh, it's so good to see you. Look around. Look around you. Um, I, I know I'm going to get in trouble because I'm going to miss some folks, but uh, Wallace Connerly, so good to see you today. Chuck and Phyllis, so good to see you. Betty Allen, so these folks haven't been here in a, almost a year, and they're back, and I know there's some others like you, and there's some others that are coming back, and it's exciting. We do want to continue to uh, safeguard our distancing and, and things like that, so let's work together with our mask and our distancing as, as we come back, as we really try to understand more and more about this disease, this, this virus that's about us. And so we want to, to honor and respect those coming back that have taken safeguards over this last year especially. Um, if you'll notice in the balcony, there's more room as we fill up here. And uh, so you might wander to the balcony if you feel like you need a little more space as more and more folks begin to come back. And, and I believe, and I think folks are excited about coming back uh, during this Easter season, right? And I think as we move towards Palm Sunday and, and the Good Friday service and Easter Sunday morning that, that we'll see more and more folks returning um, as, uh, as they receive the, the vaccine and also as they, their hearts just burn and desire to be back today. What a powerful morning of worship we've already had. Chad, the, the song selection, just so powerful. Um, we are reminded today of how much we've been given. Golly, how much... God has given to us how much the Son, Jesus, has given to us. And when we kind of step back, we can say, oh God, how could we ever repay? What we have to offer you is so small and so minute in comparison to the wonder, the grace and mercy that you've given us. And we're reminded in that last song that just like our Lord, it's not about how much we give, right? It's that we're called to give our all. Whatever in our own eyes, whatever in our own mind and heart that, that that may be, we are called just like our Lord and Savior to give our all. I pray as we join together in this journey to uh, Palm Sunday and this journey to the cross and the empty tomb that, that we can be reminded that we too are called to give our all to Christ, to give our all to each other as the body of Christ. Body of Christ. Um, I hope that, that you were able, I think we had about 50 that came out on Wednesday to be a part of our youth, did a fantastic uh, job in preparing us for a prayer journey on Wednesday and going through those stations and, and being focused on, uh, on the cross, being focused on the gift of forgiveness that we've received and of anticipating um, Easter Sunday was just powerful. And I thank you to our youth who took the time and, and their leaders, Blake and, and, and Shelly and, and others that were a part of that and helping to prepare as our youth hosted that on Wednesday. If you would, turn with me to Luke chapter 23. As we've been singing today, where do you begin? Where do you begin as we begin to, to make our way to the cross? Well, let's, let's begin where we're going to end. Let's begin at the cross. Luke 23. Luke 23. 
And I'm just going to, to briefly read through the, 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 uh, this passage very quickly, uh, starting in verse 13, to, uh, to focus our efforts there on verses 33 and 34. Set the context to prepare hearts for this Easter season. Pilate, Jesus had already been arrested, and here he comes before Pilate a second time. Pilate summoned the chief priests and the rulers and the people, and he said to them, You brought this man to me as one who incites the people to rebellion. Behold, having examined him before you, I have found no guilt in this man regarding the charges which you have made against him. No, not I, and nor has Herod. For he sent him back to us, and behold, nothing deserving death has been done by him, by Jesus. Therefore, I will punish him and release him. Verse 18, but they cried out all together, all together, saying, away with this man and release for us Barabbas. Verse 20, Pilate wanting to release Jesus addressed them again, but they kept on calling out, saying, Crucify him! Crucify him! And Pilate said to them a third time, Why? What evil has this man done? I have found in him no guilt demanding death. Therefore, I will punish him and release him. But they, but this crowd, were insistent with loud voices asking that he be crucified. And their voices began to, be, to prevail. And Pilate announced sentence that, that they demanded be granted. Down to verse 32. And two others who were criminals were being led away to be put to death with Jesus. And when they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on the right and one on the left, but Jesus was saying, Father, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Isn't it amazing that after we go through just this portion of the, the night, of the betrayal, the denial, the, the injustice that Jesus experienced, that His first words on the cross are, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. And it's interesting that, that, that Luke is the only one that includes this in his gospel. And notice what happens along the way. A criminal reaches out to Jesus. Remember me when you come into your heaven. A centurion bows And said, truly, this man was the Son of God. A man named Joseph from Arimathea who was part of this council, and even though he didn't participate or agree with this punishment, he steps out of the shadows and takes the body of Jesus to be buried. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And from the cross, Jesus shows us the meaning, the purpose of Easter. It begins with forgiveness. 
And so over these next weeks, we are going to focus on the gift, on the act, on the mercy, on the result of forgiveness in our lives and of this incredible gift that God gives to us. You see, forgiveness is that first step. Forgiveness births salvation in our lives. It is a word of mercy, a word of hope. Forgiveness is a word of healing. Not just for the one who has, has caused the problem, but for the one who has received the offense. Forgiveness is central to the life that God calls us to live. One of the most amazing stories of forgiveness that I've ever heard comes out of one of the greatest and most horrific acts of violence I believe that has occurred in 21st century America. This book is called Amish Grace, How Forgiveness Transcended Tragedy. It's a story that I'm going to share with you in just a moment, but it's a story that reveals the power and the struggle of forgiveness in an incredible tragedy and how forgiveness transcended. It didn't erase, it didn't replace, it didn't do away with, it didn't say everything's okay, but forgiveness transcended, rose above. East, excuse me, Amish grace, how forgiveness transcended tragedy. I wonder if we could change the title to Easter Grace. How forgiveness transcended the tragedy of the cross. Let me share this story with you very briefly. It was October the 2nd, 2006. It was 3 a.m. in the morning. Charles Roberts had been on the job since 6 o'clock the night before. You see, he was a, a, a milkman, if you would. He traveled around from farm to farm collecting milk in his 50,000-gallon semi-truck. And then he would deliver it to the regional processing plant before heading home. Well, he was heading home that morning at 3 a.m. to catch a few hours of sleep before his three children and his wife would awake. And he would join them for breakfast. And then his wife and their 18-month-old child went on to a group that some of you may be familiar with called Moms in Touch. She was a part of a Moms in Touch prayer group that met at one of the local churches, and she and the 18-month were going there that morning to pray for their children, to pray for the safety of all children and their teachers as they were gathering in worship, excuse me, to gathering in the schools in that area and across our nation. After his wife and the 18-month-old left, Charles took his 6-year-old and his 8-year-old to the bus stop and waited for them or waited for the bus to come. He gave them a kiss goodbye and went back home. Where there he began loading up the supplies that he had collected over the last few weeks. And he began putting them into a borrowed pickup truck that he had secured for that day. In his pickup truck, he was putting supplies that included a, a handgun, a rifle, a shotgun, and up to 600 rounds of ammunition. In addition, he loaded a hammer 
and several different sizes of woods, two by fours, four by sixes, that he was going to take with him. You see, he was preparing for a long and extended siege and standoff. And on his way, he was going to stop by the hardware store because he had yet to pick up the plastic zip ties that he would later on need. But before leaving home, Roberts was sure to put a a letter he had written to each one of his family members so that he could find it when he got home. Earlier that morning, 26 students, ages 6 to 13, had walked from their 10 different homes for the school school day at West Nickel Mines School in Pennsylvania, in Amish country, Pennsylvania. Emma was their 20-year-old school teacher. And that day was a special day for her because she had invited her mom and some of her mom's friends and relatives to come and to join them at school that day. At 10.15 that morning, Emma called the children in from recess. They began to sit down for that next learning session that would take them to lunch. About 10.25, Roberts drove into the the schoolyard. This schoolhouse was uh, isolated miles away, as you would expect in Amish community, but again within distance where these children could walk to school. Roberts entered into the schoolhouse building waving his pistol and he ordered everyone to lie face down on the floor. He told the boys to begin to help him unload his supplies from the truck and in that commotion and confusion of that moment, Emma and her mother were able to slip out the side door. Emma would later say that she wasn't leaving her children, but because there were the other adults that were there, she felt like it was up to her to try to run to find help. Because of the lifestyle of the Amish people, there was no phone located at the schoolhouse. There were no cell phones that she would have or any of the adults would have. And so she literally, in a panic, had to to sprint and to run a quarter of a mile, hoping that the home that she would find would have a, 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 a house, a little shed where they kept a phone so that she could call 911. The call was made about 10.35. In the meantime, Roberts had barricaded himself in the school using the supplies that he'd brought. He ordered all the boys after that moment to leave. He ordered the women to leave. And somehow during that moment again, as as that confusion was taking place, one of the nine-year-old girls said she heard a voice that just said, run, run. And she escaped before she was bound there in that schoolroom. Survivors of that incident remember Robert saying to them how sorry he was to do this he said I'm angry at God and I need to get even with him his co-workers remembered Roberts as a troubled soul whose language was foul and who would get agitated and frustrated at such little things Roberts was angry among other things at God because of the death of his firstborn daughter I remember he had an eight-year-old, so this was a a wound and a pain going back at least nine or ten years. He was angry at God for the death of his firstborn daughter who only lived 20 minutes after her birth. 
The anger, the bitterness, the jealousy, the confusion inside of him created a downward spiral that ultimately destroyed him and others. In his note to his wife, Roberts wrote, I'm filled with so much hate towards myself. Hate towards God. And an, and an unimaginable emptiness. It seems like every time we do something fun together, the only thing I can think about is our daughter who wasn't here to share it with us. And again, I go right back to being filled with an uncontrolled anger. At 10.44, nine minutes after the 911 call, three state troopers had arrived at the school and they observed that the, the windows had been, the blinds had pulled, been pulled down, the door had been locked, and, and all that was barricaded. In just a few more minutes, seven additional officers arrived and they surrounded the school. At 10.55, Roberts called 911 himself, threatening to kill his hostages if the officers did not leave immediately. At 11.05, shots rang out. And by the time the police could break into the school, Roberts had shot eight of the ten girls and killed himself. Five of these young schoolgirls would die from their wounds. Everyone would be scarred for the rest of their lives. As word began to get out, this peaceful, quiet Amish community fell into shock and disbelief. Well, actually, the, the whole world and nation, those of you that remember that day, will understand the shock and grief and confusion that we all felt. How could something so unspeakably evil and violent happen to the most innocent and vulnerable among us? On top of that, Roberts was not even Amish, yet he targeted this pacifist, nonviolent people as the victims of his hateful action. How would the Amish respond? How would these families whose daughters had been senselessly murdered react and respond as well? In a word, forgiveness. Within hours of the shooting, Amish people in that community were already reaching out to the Roberts family expressing their sorrow and that they did not hold anything against them. An Amish neighbor went to the family and stood with them for over an hour holding Charles's father, saying, we forgive you. At Charles's funeral, a couple of days after the funerals for the girls, family members of the girls who'd been murdered came by the cemetery to offer their forgiveness. The funeral director said this, this is something I will never forget, not ever. I knew I was witnessing a miracle. Two days after the shooting, the sleepless grandfather of two sisters who had been killed in that shooting 
couldn't sleep and decided he would walk out by where the schoolhouse was. A reporter came up to him. Have you already forgiven them? In my heart, this grandfather said, yes. How is that possible? Through God's help. You see, 2,000 years ago, Jesus hung on a cross. Innocent of the crimes He was convicted of. In fact, He was innocent of any crime. He was falsely accused, betrayed, denied, and mocked. He was spat upon. He was beaten. He was stripped and humiliated as He was crucified to a cross. The Scripture tells us that Jesus cried out seven times Seven times from the cross. Seven words for us to hear. And as we've already learned and been reminded this morning, the first words that He cried out from the cross were, Father, forgive them. For they do not know what they are doing. Father, forgive them. As this Amish grandfather has reminded us as well, forgiveness must begin with God. In fact, it is only possible with God's help. First of all, let's ask the question, what is forgiveness? What do we mean by that? Joanna North, psychologist, I think does a good, good job of just kind of helping us to have some handles around this idea of forgiveness. She writes, Forgiveness is when unjustly hurt by another, we forgive when we overcome the resentment toward the offender, not by denying our right for resentment or to the resentment, but instead by trying to offer the wrongdoer compassion, benevolence, and love. In the financial world, forgiveness simply means to cancel a debt. In the spiritual realm, which draws from this idea of debt as its understanding of of forgiveness, in the spiritual realm, forgiveness refers to the spiritual debt that each of us owe for sin. The Scripture teaches us that we've all sinned, that We've all sinned against God and that the payment of our sin is death. You see, forgiveness is God's act of canceling our sin debt in relationship to Him. And as we've been talking about these last weeks, that is an act of God's mercy. Romans 6.23 says it this way, The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. The free gift of God is forgiveness, which results in salvation, which results in eternal life. But church, let us never think that forgiveness is cheap because the debt must still be paid. Jesus took on our debt of forgiveness and with His life, He cried out from the cross. One of the seven words of Jesus from the cross. He cried out, paid in full. 
Well, doesn't that make sense? If we understand and realize that, that sin is a debt that we have, that we owe towards God, and Jesus cried out, Father, forgive them, and then towards the end, before He died on the cross, He cried out, paid in full, He has paid the wages, the penalty for our sin. Forgiveness costs Jesus dearly, and it continues. Forgiveness continues to cost dearly each of us who follow after Him as we learn to offer it to others. Another thing about forgiveness that I want us to understand is that forgiveness always leads to forgiveness. If you would, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. And Matthew 6 is, is part of the Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew 6, the disciples asked Jesus to teach us how to pray. Verse 9, Matthew 6 begins the Lord's Prayer. Pray then in this way, our Father who is in heaven. Now look at verse 12. And forgive us our debts. There's that idea again. We owe. We, we owe God something. Well, well how is that possible? Well, it's, it's our sin. There, there's a payment. There's a penalty that must be paid. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. For verse, verse 14, Jesus goes on to explain this particular portion of His prayer. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, for their debt, debt, debts, your Heavenly Father will also forgive you of your debts. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions, your debts. Now, I want to offer a word of, of pause and caution here because I believe that some have misunderstood this verse to say that forgiveness of others is what is required in order for us to, for, to receive God's forgiveness. Let's be careful that we don't put the cart before the horse here so that our understanding of salvation becomes of works. You have to do this in order to be saved. What we are understanding today is that forgiveness is the divine work of God that is initiated by Him on the cross. Forgiveness always begins with God, but it must continue to flow through those who are forgiven. As a result of God's forgiveness in our lives, we are called and able to forgive others as they sin against us. Do you remember the story in Matthew chapter 18, verses 23 through 20, 30, excuse me, 35. It's the story of a servant who owed his king a great deal of money. In fact, it was a, an almost unpayable amount of money. It was an amount of money that this servant would never in ten lifetimes be able to, uh, to pay back his king. And the king called him in and said, it's time to pay up. And oh, this man that owed so much that he could never repay it, begged and pleaded for God's mercy, excuse me, for the king's mercy. And the scripture says the king had compassion and mercy on this servant who had a debt that he could never, ever, ever repay. 
And so instead of sending him to a debtor's prison where he would be tormented for the rest of his life, the king forgave him. He forgave the debt. And the scripture tells us that that, this forgiven servant immediately as he leaves the king's presence, he comes into the presence of, of one of his fellow servants that owed him in perspective a minute, minute, minute amount of money. And he said, hey, buddy, I need my money back. And the servant friend says, well, I'm sorry, I can't repay it. I need my money back right now. And he begged and he pleaded for mercy. And this servant who had just been forgiven by the king showed no mercy, no forgiveness. And he had him thrown into prison until he could repay this small, minute amount of money. When the king heard of this, he called the servant back in. He said, what's going on here? I forgave you in a, something that you could never repay in a, in a hundred lifetimes. It was so much money. And here someone has a significant debt to you and you threw him in prison. And the king took back his mercy. Took back his grace. And he threw this wicked servant into prison where he would languish and suffer for the rest of his life. And then look at verse 35, how this passage finishes up. My heavenly Father will do the same to you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. You see, forgiveness begins with a king. But it continues in our lives as well. Let us not forget this. We do not deserve God's forgiveness but because God has so graciously given it to us out of humility and out of extreme gratitude to God, our only response to others when we have been offended must be forgiveness. And for those who refuse to forgive, we must question, have they truly received and fully understood the meaning and significance of God's forgiveness, of the unpayable debt that they owe towards God you see, the Amish are a people who take seriously these scriptures and the practice of forgiveness. And so must all who call on the name of Jesus. Remember the words of a heartbroken grandfather who said, Yes, I've forgiven them in my heart. Forgiveness must begin in our heart, but it must then learn and grow and process and progress to flow through our minds and through our bodies, through our words and through our actions. And church, let's never assume that forgiveness is easy. No, forgiveness is hard work. It's one of the things that's portrayed well in this book is, is the confession that the Amish made of, yes, we forgive. But oh, how each and every day they struggle to walk in that forgiveness. It's important for us to learn to say these words, I forgive you. Sometimes these words are a declaration of the process that we are in. I forgive you may mean this, I am learning how to forgive you. You have hurt me very, very deeply. 
and this may take some time, but I am committed to the work, to the journey of forgiving you. And whenever the anger, the bitterness, the hurt returns, then we must renew ourselves to the work of forgiveness as we remember that forgiveness, Easter, if you would, salvation begins on the cross. Father, forgive them. And sometimes our forgiveness of others requires us to take up our cross and come alongside of Jesus as we forgive others and as we give up our right for revenge and our feelings of hatred and anger and bitterness towards others. You see, forgiveness is always a gift of mercy and of grace for the victim as well as for the offender. Now, church, there are many, many questions surrounding forgiveness that there's no way we can deal with right here today. Again, forgiveness is hard work with many layers of application. It's a lifelong journey that brings us to our knees. And because of this, we're going to take these next weeks to explore the many facets of forgiveness. I hope you'll join us. But today... Today we begin with the truth that forgiveness always starts with God and that forgiveness always continues or leads us to forgive others. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this incredible story that began on the cross of Jesus who was abused, who was crucified, beaten, shamed, and yet His first words were, Father, forgive them. And even in the story of Luke, we see the impact of that forgiveness even in that moment. God, may we realize that, that we are one of them. We're one of them that uh, Jesus has asked to be forgiven. We certainly would affirm that we don't always know and understand what we're doing in, in regard to sin. And yet, you've offered forgiveness. And then you call us to be forgivers. And Lord, that's hard work. It's cross-like work at times. But this is what you've called us to. So Lord, thank you that forgiveness begins with you on the cross. And help each of us to take up our cross and come after you and practice forgiveness in the lives of those who've hurt and offended us. This morning, have you been forgiven? Have you received the forgiveness that God desires for you to have? Have you received the forgiveness of someone else? They've sought forgiveness or they've offered forgiveness. Have you received that act of forgiveness as well? finally, is there someone in your life, maybe years ago, maybe yesterday, maybe this morning, is there someone that God is calling you to forgive today? To begin that process of saying, because God has forgiven me, I promise to strive to learn how to forgive you. Let's stand. Let's make our commitments to the Lord.
The altar's open for those that would want to just come. Kneel on the front, front row here at the altar if you feel uh, moved to come and pray. Let's stand and worship together.